This podcast is the eighth episode of Novel Writers The Warm Up. Novel Writers is a monthly event organized by Spike Island in partnership with Bristol Festivals of Ideas. Today, I received Killin Hughes for her first novel, Orchid and the Wasp, published by One World Publication in the UK and Hogarth in the US in 2018, and which already caught a great reception in the media. Killing Hughes is an Irish writer who lives and works in the Netherlands, or at least I read this, yeah. <laughs> and whose poetry collection and short stories have been awarded repeatedly the past five years. Uh, Killing Hughes, this is a very, this is very great to have you today uh, on this very coach of novel writers. The warm up together, we will talk about your writing processes and techniques, and the differences between writing as a writer or writing as a poet. Then you will join the Spike Island Cafe to talk about your novel Orkling and the Wasp, more specifically. So thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you for having me. I could read that you wrote your first novel when you were six or seven, when you were a kid. <laughs> but you had to deal with your family laughing a bit too hard about it, and that fact made you stop writing for a good decade. So it means that your writing has always been something important for you uh, as a kid? So I, I, that was the first fiction. Um, so that was the first fiction that I wrote. Um, I had been writing poetry for a long time. Um, well, I, I guess I, I remember writing poems when I was 10. Um, and, uh, but I remember the act of trying to write fiction as being something very different. Um, so when that didn't work out, <laughs> when I overheard my, my mum in fits of laughter in her room, reading the pages that I'd given her. Oh God, um, you, you were not even in front of her? No, I was outside the room listening. Oh no. <laughs> It's even worse than I imagine, <laughs> and uh, and it was not a comedy. So uh, so yeah, then I decided that you know that clearly fiction was for you know a different species of writer, and uh, and I I stuck to poetry, which I felt kind of you know more in control of, and um, and then I didn't uh, take up fiction writing again um, until I was in my mid twenties or so. Okay, so a big gap. Yeah. And was literature a big thing in your family? Did you have a lot of writers around or big readers maybe? Uh, big readers, big readers, yeah. My, my mom had a background in uh, theatre and taught drama and things and so there were a lot of plays in the house and we, we you know, were very much encouraged to um, be interested in the arts. Um, and uh, but you know both 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 my parents I guess you know didn't go to university and, and just ran their own businesses. Um, my father in in uh, software eventually, although he started out as an encyclopedia salesman. Okay. Um, and uh, <laughs> um, but but again, you know, both of them were are very literary in in a kind of organic way. Um, you know, even my dad would have done amateur theatrics, and then he he um was is very good at reciting poetry so um and kind of just very much inspired by what he sees he'll kind of recite reams and reams of you know Yeats or Louis McNeese or um uh, Dylan Thomas or you know various people that will come into his mind spontaneously and so to to me that was very formative in my um appreciation of what literature could do to a life you know it wasn't something that you know 
I was hearing from sitting down and being told to appreciate it. It was seeing other people um, being prompted to um, recall those uh, texts that had been so um, influential and impactful on their lives that they, you know, remembered it 50 years later. So it was quite an organically um, arty house, if not kind of, um, it, it, but neither of my parents are writers. All right. So it feels like poetry has been in your life a bit before fiction. Yes, and as a reader as well, because okay, um, yeah, that's yeah. very very specific. Yeah, I you know if I don't know really the moment when it started, but I um I didn't you know I didn't do well in school. I did really really badly in school. I didn't actually get enough to go to university. Um, okay. I had to do this. I got a B minus in English, um, and uh, I wanted to do English, so I had to drive to Northern Ireland it was a big it was a big uh, long story um I couldn't get into college in Ireland so but so um so my reading and my kind of education or self-education has always been a bit uh, contrary mm-hmm. um and so maybe that's part of the reason you know um there was the feeling that you should be reading novels and that's something that you know uh um you know good children do um, and I found kind of novels to be these intimidating big books I was a very slow reader um, and just a slow learner in general and uh, and I found books to kind of be these packed things full of other people's ideas you know full of things that you were supposed to remember character names and um and I I didn't see any space for myself in them whereas when I you know if I took poetry or plays off of the shelves there was all this blank space and there was very much a kind of an intimacy with the reader and the text um, and it was as if it was a direct conversation so to me poetry wasn't at all intimidating and it felt very kind of like it felt very very personal and and very um intimate and you know you felt like you had a role to play as a reader um and more involved yeah yeah more involved and so I, I i don't know even if i couldn't understand everything that i was reading the thing that what i did understand you, you know was probably really profound and beautiful you know um and so it made it worth um reading for me and and i guess that's about making sure that you have enough if for if you're trying to i don't know anyone listening is trying to encourage young people to read poetry i think having a variety of types um, because you never know what someone's going to respond to. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and I, I certainly, you know, I didn't really respond to what we were being taught at school. I, I um, But I was engaging with literature. It was just coming from more of it had to be part of your own choice and what, you know, what you what spoke to you. All right. Um, when did, did you start to write poetry? Because I, I could see that you have a poetry, poetry collection yeah. uh, published and it's been awarded with many as well so I was wondering when did you feel like you stop only read poetry but start to write some poetry yeah um, I started uh, very young um, I, I started publishing poems when I was 14 much oh. to my embarrassment wow. now um, <laughs> why uh, yeah, because was... you don't like the poetry you wrote at that time anymore no but I'm like I mean of course not and I mean I also believe that you know uh, if I'm ever teaching, I really recommend students not to publish the first book that they write mm-hmm. um, uh, as an act of kind of self-preservation. Um, and, uh, you know, so uh, I think I was very exposed to the Internet very early on because my dad was in software. And so I kind of the uh, had this space as well. And um, but so so I started writing it pretty early, but I kind of started taking it very seriously when I was at Queen's University in Belfast. Um, and it's really a city of poets. Um, 
uh, and maybe now there's some really you know amazing fiction writers coming out of it and maybe there were at the time but to me it just seemed like predominantly a city of poets um, and um, and it was something that was sanctioned there you know it wasn't a weird thing to be interested in or to be you know wanting to talk about and um, and so I yeah I started kind of writing more seriously there and then after my MA at Queen's I um, decided to run a marathon and um, because I was running away from a PhD I was supposed to start the following week oh, so I googled very good plan. <laughs> marathons worldwide and, I, and I, there was one in New Zealand um, so I booked myself into the marathon and then um, I bought a one-way flight um, oh and my god that's very dramatic <laughs> yes yeah and then seven years later uh, I decided I it was back. time to leave but um but when I was down there I I, I kind of I did finish my first poetry book when I was there um you mean in New Zealand in New Zealand oh, right. um although uh, you know I found it harder to write poetry there than I had in Belfast oh right um, do yeah you, do you know why it's just a feeling that you can't and um, it's I, I mean I worry that in, in naming it it's not an honest answer but it sounds like it might be <laughs> uh, as in uh, as in I don't really think I have access to the honest answer Um, maybe I will later in life but yeah, what, what feels right now is that um, there was a lot of landscape shock um, a lot of culture shock and Belfast you know uh, for it felt like it was a very contained and dense and um, you know located place so um my my arena in belfast was like probably a four kilometer radius you know it was always within this small space and always within a certain set of rooms um, and i really associated the place with being indoors and um and you know the you know if I, I kind of the visual association is of these dark back rooms with people smoking like you know and everyone is kind of hooked around their cigarettes talking about you know, Sestinas or whatever, um, or the latest made McGuckian collection or whatever it was. So um, maybe that kind of density and the feeling of containment uh, and the feeling of conversation and the conversation led culture uh, was conducive to poetry. And then New Zealand, you know, I don't know if you know any New Zealanders, but to me, they're quite shy um, and uh, like very capable and um, but a very very different personality essentially to uh, people from Northern Ireland and so um the type of conversation and the you know the density of conversation and the you know ease of conversation is very different mm -hmm. um, and I didn't have a writing community I, w I just went on my own I didn't know anyone there so I think all of that was just it was too hard to find um Clo to close myself down into a stanza um, and you know even the light and the landscape you know and I kind of wanted to go out mm -hmm. um, and explore and be in the landscape and then landscape to me is more fiction which is bizarre but it that's very interesting <laughs> so I had the totally opposite uh, experience because I used to live in Iceland so I went to live in Iceland like a few years ago and I stayed two years over there and it's exactly when I started to write poetry because, and there is a similarity in the way you describe New Zealander and, and Icelandic people, but they are also very shy and they won't engage into a deep conversation right away with you. So I felt just like you're very isolated and very overwhelmed by, by the landscape which are beautiful in Iceland. And I felt extremely inspired but to write poetry first right? because I was feeling everything was so emotional and everything had so much intensity in matter of lights or of air of everything was just too intense so i had to write poetry fiction didn't make that much 
sense for me at the time. It's very interesting. Yeah. What you said, but I can definitely rely or relate on you when you say like in that country, mm-hmm. I could not be this part of myself. Or yeah. I could not just reach this part of my brain. Yeah. Or, Maybe it has to do with opposites more than yeah. You know, um, or or you know what type of poetry you write. I suppose to be honest, when I think about it, I don't write a lot about landscape. In my poetry, mm-hmm. I tend to write about. Um, I tend to write quite narrative, um, uh, poetry or you know poetry about things that are going on inside, <laughs> inside rooms and so on. Um, that makes sense now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, maybe and and the, and then the landscape in New Zealand, the openness of that had to do with expansiveness, mm-hmm. and and you know that the, you know which ne- just n- needed uh, this longer, more exploratory form, maybe. That's, I, that really makes me think, really, because when I moved back to France after Iceland, this is when I took my writing, my, my fiction writing way more seriously, because I was, finally I left all the emotion back on the island, so that was, you know, I was locked over there, and I could finally, you know, reach my more uh, objective brain and be able to plan and do something that led me to fiction. Um, I'm very surprised that you say that you were not a good student uh, in the sense that your academic CV is quite impressive. I mean, you have a, a BA, an MA and a PhD in English literature. A bad student wouldn't have all of this, I guess. <laughs> and it may, it may sound like a naive question, but does this help you to become a good writer, to have a, an education in, in English literature? In English literature sorry. Do you believe in academic studies to shape a, a writer? Oh, that's an interesting question. Yeah, um, I should say that the when I was a bad student, uh, um, for a secondary school, um, and that had mostly to do with the teaching. Okay. Um, that maybe that sounds like a very um kind of lazy or easy um explanation, but I really I have a lot of feelings about my secondary school education and being mm. kind of written off by by teachers and what's being done, you know, to young people, um, uh, and people needing different modes of um. Uh, yeah, modes of teaching and modes of engagement um, as human beings. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, so so the reason why I think maybe I excelled or really enjoyed or thrived at, um, uh, in the university environment was because the teaching was completely different mm-hmm. um, and I just met some astounding um, lecturers, uh, really li- life-changing. And uh, so, so my math, my BA was in English and drama, and my MA was in twentieth century Irish theatre and culture. But from a, you know, not from an acting, from a play text. So I just really loved the form. Um, and then the PhDs in English literature, but it, it it was in an English department, so not in a creative writing school. So I don't have an MFA or anything like that. I've never had a story workshop, you know, um, except for one ten day. Thing I did in Oregon a couple of years ago, but that was the first time. So the you know the first time I was ever in a workshop, I was teaching one, um, uh, <laughs> uh, um, which was probably not great for the students. <laughs> well, <laughs> you don't really need to have studied the thing to, yeah. to teach it. I mean, if you've been practicing writing yourself That's before, true. That's true. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so, but but for fifty percent of my PhD, I wrote a novel. 
Okay. Um, so it wasn't a creative writing PhD. I didn't write any thesis about writing, and I, it ended up being something like one hundred and forty thousand words. So it basically was like two PhDs. But the, <laughs> um, but the 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 brilliant thing about that for me was that I got to I got kind of you know a bit of time to figure out how to try and write a novel, and with with two supervisors, neither of whom wrote fiction. Um, so none of us knew what we were doing. Um, and, you know, we'd have these hilarious conversations where they'd say, um, we, I think there's something wrong with the fact that on page 100 we're in May's head because we've only ever been in Rowan's head. You know, and none of us knew the word for point of view or like, you know, we just... We, <laughs> so, so it was a really brilliant way to learn and my intention was never to publish that book and I never will, I never want to publish mm-hmm. that book um, because uh, I wanted to just learn on it. Um, but I hadn't written any short stories before the novel, the first three novels I wrote, actually. And I, um, that's not good advice. <laughs> um, I definitely would have, things could have been a lot easier for me and I could have um, developed more techniques more quickly if I'd been writing short stories. And so to that end, with your question about whether or not um, cr- the academy can facilitate um, creative writing and the careers of writers, um, I think being exposed to literature that, you know, uh, a, a variety of literature um, is very, very, very helpful um, to any aspiring writer. I mean, primarily, I think you need to be a reader. If you're not a reader, then, you know, it's kind of creepy if you want to be a writer. Um, <laughs> uh, so t- like that time in university when you're reading can really help you figure out, you know, whether you are a reader. Um, and I've seen that among I've, I've seen that, you know, happen with students where they've kind of, it's kind of dawned on them over, you know, a period of time that they're interested, but they're not passionate. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and that having that time to figure that out is. Um, is really valuable, but I think more often than not, people end up if they if they start reading seriously, they end up reading kind of voraciously. Um, it's an addictive thing. Absolutely. Um, it's a incredible disease yeah <laughs> uh, because because i don't know if it's the case for you but i compare it as a uh, bulimia because you can have faith when you re- when you read so much yeah. and then you have faith when you don't read at all because you need to absorb all of the things that you read yeah so you have like phases like that like yeah. lot that does and then more and um, less 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 yeah and it's very but it's, it's definitely like an addiction yeah yeah it's funny but uh, i did this event um uh, in a corporate thing in uh, Google London and um, the organizer of the event they don't normally have fiction writers in it's normally non-fiction because you know uh, people are more interested in non-fiction oh, topics than oh, hearing okay. writers talk about their processes <laughs> apparently so, right. anyway, so it was an exception then and the <laughs> exception was that there would be this book club and then um, the few people like nine people turned up would have read the book and so it would be a specific discussion about the book rather than a talk okay. um, and it worked really well but then um, the organizer um, kind of was really emailing me really enthusiastically. And then when he met me, he kind of said, you know, your novel is just, you know, um, really amazing. I can't, you know, can't believe how good it is. And I, I felt this look on his face and I just said, when's the last novel, when's the last time you read a novel? Ooh. And he was like, well, I, ha- oh, I have a young child. Uh, God, when was it? Um, oh, this is embarrassing, but maybe like, 
three or four years ago. Okay. I was like, so thank you for the compliment. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think it's that you love my novel that much. It's that you like you love reading novels. Yeah, that's true. If you haven't been eating cake for 10 years, <laughs> the first cake you have is amazing, right? Yeah, even oh, carrots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, so I tried to... to to think so you you wrote your first attempt of a novel when you were writing your your PhD yeah and then you said you had you had written two other novel before um, Orchids and and the Wolves Orchid was the third book I wrote oh, yeah. right mm-hmm. and my first published book so when I have so many questions in the same time right now uh, I was thinking when did you start to take your fiction writing seriously I mean serious enough for publishing a book and why you did not publish uh, the first two novels you wrote oh well I, I really f- believe that you shouldn't publish your first book okay and uh, and uh, and I think for all sorts of reasons. There's so many reasons I could spend the whole rest of the podcast talking about just that. Um, And if I'm teaching, I kind of do talk about it at length because it's really, really important to me. Um, And uh, so I try and kind of make sure that I'm explaining that fully. But um, uh, there are all sorts of voices that come in, you know, just for one example, there are all, all sorts of voices that come in once you look for an agent or you know, and once you start that process of um of trying to get a book out in the world, and you know you hear so many things said about your manuscript, and if you haven't written another manuscript before that one, and been your own judge of its merit and its failings, um you you really can't ever trust yourself, trust your own judgment because you've got nothing to compare it to. So to give you an example, you know. I remember getting a rejection one time saying that this book is neither, it's too conventional to be experimental and it's too experimental to be conventional. Um, and that's absolutely an unhelpful comment for a writer. Yeah. Um, they kind of said it doesn't fo- land on its feet in either camp. Now, basically what that, simply that means that that's not right for the publisher or for that editor. Um, and it do, it's not really saying anything specific enough to indicate that there's something wrong with the book. Yeah, and also what's wrong is not being too experimental or not being too conventional. It could be also interesting because it's neither of those. Yeah, so, so this is like a market problem. Ex- yeah, exactly. It and makes it very hard to... It makes and it's it, very judgmental on some things that should not be judged. Yeah, mm-hmm. but that's like one of uh, hundreds and hundreds of examples of mm-hmm. the types of things that writer, that young writers are told. Um, and if you don't have... If you can't kind of... If you don't have some experience of engaging your own work and and discovering your own ambitions for your work um, and figuring out where your point where your kind of boundaries are in terms of how you're happy to be pushed or for a book to be pushed because you know it there's really no end of what you can be especially when you're in that vulnerable position of um, trying to get a first book published yeah you know people can you know literally ask you to change the century that it's set in you know or to lose subplots or to uh, you know to to cut it in half or you know and the um and so yeah i think this that's just one reason why I, it's really important to have written you a book for yourself um and and also you know i just don't think that any composer would want to um give an orchestra the very first kind of score that they write um so or or it's unlikely to be the mo- the score that they're best known for later in life mm. um so yeah so i was i wrote another novel after that and then um uh, and then it, it, it that one was just going to be difficult for a variety of reasons in the marketplace. 
Um, and so I, I, my mechanism for kind of coping then was to um, write another novel. So I just started writing Orchid and I was terrified when I started writing it because I knew it was kind of going to be a big book and that it wasn't going to follow. It wasn't like a coming of age. It wasn't, um, you know, uh, a family saga or a love story or, you know, you know, your, yeah, just buildings roman type of um story structure and that was very scary um and what would you know trying to do something different and um, not for the sake of it being different but but that because that's what was happening I don't design um books before I write them yeah, so yeah I read that that's very interesting so so I'm really kind of then discovering it as I go and if 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 what the book is wanting to become is something unusual then I have to kind of follow through on that um, and um, and again, that's a perfect example of something that you just would not be able to do if you hadn't written a book, you know, that was for the purposes of your, you know, of learning how to write and giving yourself space. So I could never have written Orchid and the Wasp as my first book. Um, um, it just wouldn't have been possible. Um, so, it, yeah. <laughs> how did you learn to be a good writer? Because you just told me that your PhD uh, supervisors could not really help you because they were not writing fiction themselves. You did not take any creative writing classes yourself. So did you read any creative writing books or did you study the books that you already liked before? Or did you find, what did you do to make yourself writing a good book in the end? Um, I, I, just, I just wrote a lot. I mean, I, I, re I, read, uh, I read more and more and more fiction. Once I started reading fiction, I didn't really start reading fiction until I was, you know, 17 or so. Um, and then through college I was reading, but it took me another, it almost took a decade to start writing it. And so in that point, I think I'd started to understand what fiction could do, you know, as uh, what the novel could do as a form. I hadn't been reading short stories at all. So it also makes sense that I hadn't been writing them. Absolutely. Um, but uh, yeah, I just, I believe also in, in, um, in writing, learning through writing. Mm. Um, and um that it's a very good muscle kind of to develop for your, if you're trying to write as a career or, you know, to keep writing throughout your life and um, that you, you know, you, um, rather than holding on really tightly to every word that you produce, to produce um, lots and to be uh, in that mode where you're not too afraid that you're not going to be able to write another thousand words. So um, I, I write a lot and throw a lot out. Um, and um, yeah, I, uh, I did. I never read any manual again until I had to teach, and then I was terrified <laughs> of like the basic things that I wouldn't know. Um, um, yeah, so I think writing by, by yeah, write, learning to write by writing. <laughs> and did you did you get some help from someone? Did you oh, make well, your friends read it? And um, so that's a that's a good question. I I so when I started writing fiction, I was down in New Zealand, and I didn't have any writer friends um for years down there and eventually i i found by and very forcefully <laughs> found a, a couple from the creative writing school um and because it was a separate school in that university i was in um and just kind of begged them to be friends with me and uh, <laughs> we played poker every with a bigger group of mathematicians every friday and uh, so like we had like limited amount of time to talk about writing because we mostly had to like concentrate on the poker but there was enough time for me to um ask my friend Um, who had gone and done an MFA at Iowa, which is, you oh, know, the famous yeah. Uh, school. Yeah, one of the first one, right? Yes, mm -hmm. the very first one, I think, mm -hmm. yeah. And um, and he, uh, I, I asked him, do you mind um, having a look at a few chapters of this novel that I'm trying to write? 
and he was like, okay, but I'm going to be, I'm going to be honest with you. And I said, that's fine. Like I can take it. He was like, I love your poetry, you know, uh, I don't know what I'm going to think about this. <laughs> and I was like, that's okay. That's fine. And then uh, he read the chapters and then he sat down with me and he said, uh, honestly, Keelan, stick to poetry. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. And, and that was really helpful because, well, he had to be the right kind of friend to say that. I mean, if that was a, like a half friend saying that I wouldn't, you know, obviously I wouldn't be their friend. Um, but he's now kind of the person who is the bit, probably the biggest champion of my career, uh, like my fiction career. And um, and because I knew that he would never, you know, BS me. Yes. Um, and it was it was it was terrible. <laughs> uh, you know, I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know how to write a scene. I didn't know how to kind of introduce a character. I didn't know how to do anything. Yeah. I was I which having, makes sense. I mean, you yeah. can't know things just like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, so um, it, it was kind of a brutal thing to say, but um, but it, I found that as like I say, I'm a bit contrary. You know, so I was like, I'll show you. <laughs> what a, well, what a great reaction to that. I think I would have cried. <laughs> Definitely. And so this, you got this reaction. Was it the first novel you wrote or the second one? That, that was the one I was writing for my PhD. Oh, yeah. okay. Mm-hmm. Well, so I was the very, very early yeah. one. And, I'm, and one of my supervisors did say that when I handed in the PhD and he compared the novel that it wound up being to the first chapters that I had given in, he said, no one would have guessed it was the same writer like you know so it that was quite a hopeful thing to hear because it just exactly. it goes to show that there's an awful lot of skill and um, learning involved absolutely mm-hmm. and very basic question but when you were writing uh orchid and the wasp uh, did you have a job on the side because mm-hmm. it's obviously yeah it's your first published novel so yeah. it means that you didn't get commission for that sure and how did you manage to work and write and most likely have a social life <laughs> uh, well i forfeited some of the social life <laughs> okay <laughs> um, <Except now. laughs> after i after i left new zealand i had um, a three-year visiting writer position at maastricht university in the netherlands and that was um that was the, so the first time i was teaching writing um, and um it was a five month minor uh course so i had i taught you know 10 to 12 hours a week okay. um with uh, and i had these students these 30 students full time it was all they were doing so it was incredibly intense and it was also a sense of you know i five months of kind of being their sole um teacher was a lot of responsibility and so it was it was absolutely all consuming i mean it was weekend and night midnight and it was all consuming um and for say like a month in prep afterward, you know, before and a month maybe um, marking and all of that afterwards. But then there were four or five months in the year that I was free to just write. Okay. Um, so I wrote um, that I wrote Orchid during those months, probably really over the course of four years, I'd say. All right. Yeah, yeah makes sense. Yeah. And you got this uh, residential position thanks to your poetry book. Am I right? Yes. Yeah, yeah I went. Yeah, <laughs> I had to kind of like, I mean, I had no qualifications for I remember getting the interview. It was, I was really kind of astounded that I got an interview. I think they were really stuck. Um, <laughs> and I was uh, and I, I kind of could see like they were in the interview. They were like, have you ever taught writing before? And I was like, well, no, but I have taught many other things. <laughs> <laughs> that helps. <laughs> and I was just kind of blagging. And then I, um, at a certain point in the interview, I, I um, broke out into poetry. I saw an opportunity and I was like, this is what I have to do. I have to convince them <laughs> somehow that, you know, that all these, you know, some kind of quirky creative type 
to add to the department um and it was uh, i was really lucky um and it was a three hour commute each way from where i was living so six hours on the train <laughs> so it was an unbelievably tiring um three years i can't believe that did you teach in english or? i taught in english yeah oh, okay Okay, that makes sense. I was wondering if you had to learn uh, Dutch. Before. No, okay. I no. I've done some courses in Dutch, but um, Dutch people's English is so good that they. Yeah, I heard that. It's yeah. amazing, and yeah. they can definitely write in in English as well. Mm -hmm. And the students that I had were about say out of thirty, maybe nine or ten would be Dutch, and then the rest were all um from different parts of the world. Um, oh, mostly, nearly all except for maybe one student a year or two students a year, English as a second language. Okay. So it was really fascinating job because you're also encountering literatures from different countries and people's relationships with their own languages. Exactly. Um, yeah, and yeah. you know what what it's like for for to see young people writing in a second language and then you know processing how how it would be to write the same story in their own language and then you know kind of realizing that there's just so many com you know complexities about how the associations we have with our languages people often think of their mother tongue as being kind of you know a warm childish you know maybe romantic depending on what their upbringing was like language or a really strict and brutal and cold language and a lot of these things are you know to do with your associations um, and that's just, I found all of that so um, fascinating. It was a fascinating group of students. I, I, I know what you mean, because I remember when I first started to write poetry, I wrote them in English just because I was too shy to write them in French, because it would mean to have to face my own language and my own inability to write beautifully. Well, I was scared of that. So to write in English was just a way to overcome the, the shyness. And now what I do, now when I write poetry, I always write in French because I, I know that my English is not good enough. I feel like it's not good enough. But when I feel stuck in French, I switch to English and sometimes I can find solutions so I can find answer. It's very interesting to be able to manipulate two languages and mm -hmm. to use strengths from this language to you know replace the weakness in the other language. Very, very interesting, but I would never write fiction in another language in my mother tongue, just because I think it's very, very hard. Mm -hmm. It's definitely an act of, of, of courage to do that. Mm -hmm. um, how did you feel during this, this uh, three-year residency as a, as, a, as a writer? Did you feel like you have, okay, I have three years, I have to write my book, or did you feel, did you feel relaxed, or what, did you plan a lot? I know that you don't plan your writing, but did you plan to have this book done at the end of the three years oh yeah how did you manage the whole thing yeah I, I planned I gave like a date in the calendar um <laughs> a few years down the line and I, I just wanted to to, uh, to you know put a kind of an, an end gate on it because I was afraid that it would be a really big novel and that it would it would build to um expand into the space that I gave it so I kind of put this arbitrary barrier um, time-wise on also because I I wanted to I knew the gig at the university was a, a finite gig it was three years um so I wanted to have the you know the opportunity to try and get an agent and get a novel uh, get a novel out after that um finished um so I did yeah um my goal was to to just kind of go hard out in the months um when I wasn't teaching Uh, it was just it was one of the most tiring periods of my life um, and in the last you know three months I uh, slept in my study um, <laughs> and I, I was ordering like prescription glasses online and taking anti-inflammatories from my hands because I had oh. so much like um, 
Um, yeah, yeah, and um, and I, I mean, it, it was like I would just get, I wasn't even doing in the in the in the in the final kind of month or so. I I didn't leave the house, and I wasn't doing any cleaning or any cooking or anything. My partner was very supportive, um, because this I had this deadline, and I had been working so hard that I knew I was going to crash, mm. and so it was a case of getting it finished by before I crashed. Yeah. Um, and uh, so it, <laughs> and it's also a very energetic book the characters moving around quite a lot and there's um you know there's new locations all the time in the book um so it kind of matched the fact that I was writing in a kind of frantic way absolutely (laughs) because it's it's uh scene after scene Mm -hmm. right so it's a very energetic kind of writing so I can't believe you would you might have been extremely tired after writing so much energetic writing um I will have to go to an end uh, but you just talked about your agent or having an agent, and I was wondering if it has been hard for you to find one, and um, someone um, to help you to publish your book. Well, it's it is it's a, always a big job to get an agent. Um, but I mean, I think a lot of if you do an MFA, you tend to get introduced to yeah. agents. Mm-hmm. So obviously, I was coming from nowhere, and I was also quite an unappealing. Um, person in the sense that I wasn't part of an English language. Um, you know. Country when I was going out for agents. However, um, I did. I had won a couple of prizes, and I had the poetry book. So I had, and I had a PhD. So there, were, I was. It, it's always you. You turn into a kind of weird product, you know. Um, and what you have to do is you have to hope that your little short one paragraph bio is okay enough to get somebody to read the first few paragraphs. Hmm. And um and usually that's going to be an intern um at an agency um who reads that that certainly not the agents going through these emails they can't they get so many of them so um yeah and I I just was really 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 incre- incredibly lucky that you know m- the person who I had been w- hoping um was the person who responded most enthusiastically to the book so um and that that's really important to you the agent is really important because. As I say, like that, you know, there, you, you're told so many things through the course of your writing life and it, it does not finish once you have a book out. Um, you know, it actually can get worse. Mm-hmm. Um, so to have a champion and somebody who is your best reader um, and who has your best interests at heart, you know, who isn't trying to make your book more this way or more that way um, and whose notes you really trust um, and who, you know, if you have a... If you have a disagreement with your editor, um, then you know you know you can go to your agent and um, and you'll be able to get a voice of reason. I mean, they're just like they're the per they're the the person that you should have for your whole writing life. So they're I think the single most important person for, for a writer to um ensure that they're with the right person. And I'd say always meet if if there are writers listening and you're you know always meet up with an agent um before signing with them because it's a personality thing and um and like there's so many so many lows in a writer's life there just is you know especially if you're writing literary fiction um there's just so many disappointments and there's so many people you feel like you let down and that you know they feel like they let you down and there's just you know so many pitfalls and um to have someone in in it with you like it's just it's it's so important Mm. Uh, it's always so interesting for me to hear that because in the french uh, literature market there is no agent or maybe there is one or two and they deal with the most 
known French writers. So as write as French writer as as French speaking writer, we have to deal with the publishing houses, you know, face to face right away. We have no medium in between. And I, I wish I wish we could have like agents because it seems healthy. Yeah. For I, the think writers. I, I think yeah. it will start to come in. Yeah. You know, it's interesting likely. because I think it's I think it's really because um, obviously I live in the Netherlands and I've had students as well and um, you know who've asked later on when, when they've written books and um, it's a dis it does a disservice you know to the literature uh, internationally it, uh, and, and even just the longevity of a writer's career the feasibility of a writer's career if they don't have an agent um, you know you can have a bad relationship a bad relationship can develop with an um, with an editor and with a publisher they could do a terrible job publishing your book they can try and make it look like it's something that it isn't they can give it a hopeless cover they can give you no coverage they cannot do a single ad they can you know tr they can force you to change your book um, and if you don't have anybody there, I mean, you're completely powerless. And so um, I think that it's a very much um, a, a kind of a, a horrible boys club thing that um, editors from different countries, um, especially in Europe, uh, it seems to happen um, outside of the UK and Ireland, would encourage their writers to keep going without agents. Um, because it's like they want the writer to be vulnerable. And submitted to them. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I have this feeling. But as you said before, it might change. Uh, I can see the wind changing, definitely, in France. I don't think it will happen within the next 10 years, definitely not, but maybe in 20 years. Mm -hmm. So there is something interesting to, to have a look at. Well, thank you so much for your time. No, thank you so And I am now talking to our dear listeners. If you like this podcast, please let us know by subscribing, sharing and liking. You can find us on all the podcast platforms under the name Nova Writers The Warm-Up and we will be happy to have your opinion on the Twitter page of Spike Island or on my page at Fuster Julie. Next writer to be interviewed will be Adam Scoville from Most Light in August the 27th.